This is episode 224 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life. Today's articles are 10 Essentials for Survival Heating During Blizzards and 10 EMP Proof Items to Hoard. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor at PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, before we get started, you can make sure that you get the Prepper Website Podcast delivered to your preferred device without fail. We make it very easy for you to subscribe in iTunes, Stitcher, or any other favorite podcast network. And if you do feel you are receiving value from the podcast, we do appreciate your kind reviews. Hey, let's go ahead and jump into our first article. It comes to us from survivalpedia.com. And uh, the title is 10 Essentials for Survival Heating During Blizzards. And it's not just really about blizzards. It's about just heating during during cold and, and making some good decisions and having some options. And I thought it was a really great article since we, we still have a lot of winter left. And so uh, I thought this was a, a good one to, to get out there. So let's go ahead and get started on this one. It only takes one blizzard, excessive ice on power lines, or a computer board failure in the furnace system to leave you without heat at a time when you need it most. And if you look around these days, you can easily imagine what a holiday at the North Pole feels like. So heating is the last thing you would want to lose. Here are some things you can do to make sure you stay warm in a time when it may be difficult or impossible to use your primary heating system method. Number one, understand how heat moves around your home. Before you begin planning how to heat your home in a crisis, find out what kind of advantages and limitations you are dealing with first. Oddly shaped rooms, hallways, doors, and other structures can change the flow of air and thus heat through your room. In some cases, the answers may surprise you and lead to changes in how you get the most out of alternative heating method placements. Here are some things you should know about and experiment with. If you have central heating, make sure that you know which order heat is delivered to the registers. Usually the registers closest to the furnace will receive hot air first, while those furthest away may receive cooler air. So take advantage of register order. Instead of closing off a room that is very close to the boiler, use it more and close off rooms that are further away. Take temperature readings at different heights around corners and in other odd rooms or hall arrangements to make a good idea of how air enters and exits each room. Then you can see how the temperature changes are affected by the air current. In some cases, using a small fan in one area will push the heat further into the room instead of building up in a corner. If you have cats, check where they are inclined to nap that aren't directly related to air registers. These will be warm spots or have warm drafts that you can take advantage of. Find out where and how cold drafts influence the way heat moves through so you would know how to use alternative methods that may not supply as much heat. If the drafts are pushing air inward, put your heating source in front of the draft so that it moves the warmed air in along with the cold. You should still try to limit these drafts because the supply of colder air coming in is endless while the heat produced by your system is limited. Number two, electricity and its role in winter heating. Maybe you have plenty of oil or other heating fuel. You made sure all furnaces 
furnace heating systems and maintenance needs were taken care of and even have a smart thermostat or smart house technology that ensures it is an optimal temperature in every room. All this can lead you to believe you can't lose your primary source of heat, but you would be wrong. The more complicated your heating system is, the more likely it is the systems rely on electricity. The amount of electricity required to run blower fans, pump fuel into the furnace, ignite the fuel, and carry out other activities may be more than you provide. If you don't already have a tested system in place for generating power off-grid, then blizzards, ice storms, and other events will lead to serious power disruptions. Unless you can generate sufficient power or your heating system does not require electricity, you must take into account alternative heating methods. Number three is preparing for an electrical outage. It can take years of trial and error plus a range of equipment to generate enough electricity to live off the grid. If you are especially low on funds and need to prepare for winter power outages now, buy a generator or household scale batteries that can be charged and stored away for use during a storm. Your best option will be alternative fuels and heating devices as well as good information on how to make the use of it. Number four, alternative fuels to have on hand. If you are already reeling over the cost of home heating fuels such as wood, coal, oil, and gas, then you might wonder how to afford alternative fuels. You can make some from household junk and you can buy others in small quantities and store away for a time of need. Here are three alternative fuels that will work in just about any situation so long as you have adequate ventilation and can safely manage a fire. Newspaper logs. This is one of the easiest and cheapest to make. Take newspapers, junk mail, and just about anything else made of paper. Try to avoid glossy plastic or heavy dyed pages and they will smell bad when they burn. And tear it up into shreds. Next, soak the paper in water for a few days to make it as soft as possible. To make the brick shape, set the papers in a pan and squeeze the water out. Once the bricks are dry, you can burn them just as you would wooden logs. Now, uh, I will tell you, there are uh, back in the early days of Prepper Website, I remember putting up a lot of videos on making paper logs and paper bricks and those kinds of things. They still need to dry, um, but you can go to Prepper Website, and over on the right-hand side, the sidebar, uh, if you scroll down a little bit, uh, probably about midway down on the site, there'll be a search function, and you can... Uh, type in there and, and look for anything and it'll, it'll it'll search the site for you and bring that up. Uh, this one just has a picture. It doesn't necessarily have a video or anything like that, uh, but uh, that is something to do. And so maybe you come across somebody who's kind of been hoarding newspapers and they just need to get rid of them or, or big stacks of newspaper. And, and uh, you know, if you're willing to do this, uh, you can, uh, this is very viable. So a way, a little bit of work, but it's easy, easy to do. All right. Second one is candles. It's best to buy a wide range of candle sizes that can be used for different locations and needs. For candle heaters and similar radiative devices, you can use tea lights and votives. If you want to heat up a smaller area and get more light at the same time, use a taper. Seven-day candles or the larger jar candles may not offer much in the way of heat or light. Aside from that fact that many of these candles are made with thinner wicks that don't work well, the heat from them is usually trapped by the jar itself. You can also make candles from just about anything that has fat or wax in it. This includes tubes of chapstick, 
cans of vegetable shortening, sticks of butter, crayons, or anything else that you can get some kind of wick into. And I would say old cooking oil, and that's going to come up in the next article as well. Uh, for smaller candles, you can use toothpicks or other splinters of wood. Rolled up paper will work well for shortening can candles and others that are larger in size. And he's talking a little bit there. Uh, there's some emergency type uh, you know, lighting and candles that you can make. Uh, they're easy, easy to do. You'll see, you'll find those like on memes on Facebook and and uh, hacks and different things like that. Um, but we, you know, we've posted those on the website as well. There are a couple. I do want to say there are a couple of infographics in this in this article, and so uh, just you know, big big graphics here that you can come and check out and and see what they're like. One, this one right here is just on making a candle and ways to make a candle, so you can check that out. All right, the third one is rubbing alcohol. Even though it takes a lot of experience to make wood or rubbing alcohol, you can still buy it at a fairly low price. Just purchase a bottle or two each time you go shopping and store it away for a time of need. Uh, the, uh, there was a video that we posted, the, I think, yesterday on Prepper website. Uh, one of the guys that I, I love to watch his channel, he's always experimenting with ways of heating and cooling, and uh, he's just doing simple little projects that anybody can do. And basically what he did is he, he used rubbing alcohol inside of tin cans, and he surrounded these tin cans, or he put these tin cans like on a step stool, a big step stool, kind of like a ladder-looking step stool type thing. And then he surrounded them with regular bricks, not fire bricks, but regular bricks. And he stacked them up to go around and kind of like almost encased them. Almost if, if you weren't really paying attention, you would think it means a fire inside of them. But of course, it's the rubbing alcohol inside of these tin cans. And basically what he was saying is that these bricks were uh, holding the heat, were getting, uh, you know, they were heating up. And uh, after the rubbing alcohol wears off, they were, you know, still radiating heat for a while. And so he has one of those temperature gauges where you kind of point and, uh, and, and figure out what the temperature is. And he was getting some decent temperatures there. And it was a really easy thing to do. And it might be something that, uh, that you could do in, in an emergency you might want to have. And so uh, I'm going to link to that in the, in the show notes. So that you can check that one out because I think that was a, a great idea. Um, you know, so you, you got to be very, very careful with it, especially if you have kids. But I think it's something that could be uh, very helpful. Number five is easy devices you can buy or build. You should have one kind of stove for each fuel that you are setting aside. Paper logs may be the easiest and cheapest fuel to make, but they will be useless if you have no safe place to burn them. Burn them in an outdoor open barrel or set up a wood stove indoors with a proper chimney system. Even though you can do quite a bit with lengths of stovepipe, they must still eventually attach to a suitable chimney. Remember, downdrafts and other problems can truly make burning these kinds of fuels indoors an art form. While dampers in the stovepipe may alleviate some of the problems, it still takes a bit of work and maintenance to use these systems safely and to use the maximum benefit. Here are some smaller, easy-to-manage devices that you can make or purchase for other kinds of alternative fuel. A candle heater. You can purchase prefabricated prefab heaters made of clay flower pots, or you can make your own. If you decide to assemble your own, be sure to use zinc-free washers, nuts, and bolts. When heated, metal hard wire with zinc in it can give off toxic fumes. Since the candle heater can raise temperatures of the metal to several hundred degrees, it will not be worth your safety and well-being to use fittings that have zinc in them. 
During the winter months, it is also very important to periodically dry out the ceramic pots in an oven. This will reduce the moisture content and ensure that heat will flow through the pots more easily. If you choose to make your own candle heater, do not forget to include a saucer pan on top of the flower pot array. Once the candle heater is going for about an hour, you will have more than enough heat to warm up food and beverages in heat-safe bowls. I do not recommend large or heavy cookware. Anything light and thin that transmits heat easily will suit your needs better. A rubbing alcohol stove. As with candle heaters, you can also purchase a prefabricated rubbing alcohol stove. Or if you have some soda cans on hand, you can make one from those. Since rubbing alcohol stoves are very efficient, do not be surprised at the amount of heat you will get from such a small device and a relatively small amount of rubbing alcohol. Do not forget you can also put a metal tripod over the rubbing alcohol stove and use it for cooking. Overall, the rubbing alcohol stove will be more efficient in this area than the candle heater. And you can also uh, look for rubbing alcohol stoves online as well or on Prepper website uh, in the search box. Uh, the next one is propane stove. Even though propane bottles cost more than rubbing alcohol, propane devices are very useful for emergency situations. Propane stoves or heaters can be used for cooking meals as well as providing heat. Depending on the cylinder size and the setting of the stove or heater, you may get just a few hours from each cylinder or much more. And, uh, you know, just I was reading that propane stove, but going back to the rubbing alcohol stove, that might be a great project if you do the, the, the penny can stoves, you know, if you've ever seen those before. That might be a great project to do with kids, maybe a little bit older kids uh, that can appreciate it and handle some of the materials. But I think that would be a great one to show kids and, uh, you know, one that they could always have in the back of their mind if they ever needed it for any kind of emergency. Uh, then number six, going, going, moving on with the, these numbers here, number six is backup systems to consider. If you have more time to work with devices, other systems that can be used without burning various kinds of fuel, you, can also need, you, you also need to find a way to transport the heat into each area that interest, of interest to you. A compost pile. Did you know that a medium to large compost pile can produce enough heat to warm up water in pipes buried in the pile? All you need to do is take a coil of plastic pipe and fill it, fill it up with water. Regardless of the temperature outdoors or the weather conditions, your compost pile will always be producing heat at the core level. To get some of that heat into the house, continue the plastic line into your home and then pump the water around the room and back out to the compost pile again. You can also add water radiators with metal fins to disperse the heat more readily as the water is piped around your home. Try to limit your pump size to one that will run on a 12-volt battery. In an emergency, just keep a fresh and fully charged car battery or other deep cycle battery on hand to run the pump. A solar can heater. If you have a sunny spot on a rooftop or in your yard, then you can generate a good bit of heat with a solar can heater since these devices only require an insulated box with a glass covering. Inside the box, set up a series of plastic pipe and then encase the pipes in cans. After the main system is built, you can either run water through the pipes or simply let hot air from the pipes vent into your home. As with the compost pile, pumping water in will also give you the advantage of having hot water on hand in a time when none may be available because of the weather situation. Number seven, managing your wood pile. When it comes to managed, managing your wood pile, make sure the wood stays as dry as possible. 
If you are concerned about being trapped indoors during a blizzard or other severe weather, keep as much wood as possible near the house. Keeping enough wood chopped and ready to burn for at least three weeks will always be to your advantage. You can also try to find a place in your home to supply at least one week's worth of heat so that you can stay indoors as much as possible. Then there is another, like I said, there's another infographic uh, talking about the best uh, wood for your stove. And, uh, you know, it has like uh, ash and black locusts and then it's things for slow burn. So good heat, wood for good heat, wood for slow burns, uh, wood for uh, fast burns and good for kindling. So anyway, it's uh, you know, a little infographic there that you might be interested in. Continuing on. Many people don't realize that you can burn less fuel without losing out on a lot of heat efficiency. Bank the fire every hour so that the existing heat has a chance to circulate. Once the fire is burning well, don't add other materials such as paper or cardboard. If you are going to burn these materials, do so when you are planning to burn wood until the embers from the other material are in a condition where they can be banked. You can revive them easily enough with wood. However, mixing fuel types can make the fire burn too fast or too slow and cause it to be less efficient. Number eight, managing oil and other fuel lines. If the temperatures get cold enough, fuel lines might freeze up. Make sure that you know how to thaw the lines out safely as well as how to tap the main tank so that you can keep some fuel on hand indoors. Have a valve in installed so that you can cut off the main fuel line and attach a line inside the house that will draw from a bucket of fuel. Just be sure to monitor the system each time it is burning for the sake of safety and fire prevention. Number nine, passive methods for pacing fuel consumption. You can block off windows at night and then open the shades during sunlight hours to let heat in. Running ceiling fans can also help push warm air back down into the room where you need it most. And most of the time, uh, there is a little switch on the top of a, uh, of a ceiling fan that will change the rotation of the blades. And that's where, you know, during the winter times, you want it to push down uh, the heat. And during the, uh, you know, the, the warmer months, you want, uh, you know, to be pushing down the colder air. In the most extreme situations, you can also pitch a tent in one room of your home and stay in it to conserve as much body heat as possible. Take the time now to practice using candle heaters and other devices outside the tent, as well as how to get the most from them in a time of need. Remember that hot food and beverages can also go a long way to preserving your core body temperature. Even if you cannot heat up a whole room using alternative methods, you may still be able to warm a food and beverages that will help you avoid freezing to death. Number 10, an emergency survival kit. Overall, building an emergency sur heating survival kit is not especially difficult. Here are the most important items to have on hand. Candle heater and candles, rubbing alcohol stove and fuel, hair dryer or other heat source for thawing water pipes, additive that can be mixed with heating fuel to prevent freezing in the first place, matches or other means of starting a fire, emergency heat retention blankets, tent, plenty of water for hydration, food and beverages that can be heated up, solar-powered coffee mug or other devices that can be used to heat up water or soup without using electricity or a fire. At this time, there is more debate than you might expect about whether or not the planet is heating up or cooling down. If you've ever seen the way ice melts in a beverage, then it may be easier to understand why some data points one way while the other studies indicate the opposite. 
Regardless of how or why, the fact remains weather patterns are becoming more extreme, which means that you need to all to do all you can to prepare for extreme cold and situations where your primary heating system fails. Having a few devices and alternative fuels on hand may not seem like much, but it is more effective than doing nothing at all or simply hoping for the best. All right. And then they did in the emergency survival kit, they did talk about uh, blankets, but I think that's another big thing. Uh, if you are living up north, uh, I think that's just one of those things where you just have a ton of blankets, man. And you have really warm blankets and you find some really warm sleeping bags and you go to, you know, you go to garage sales and you go to, you know, places where, you know, you can buy them really cheaply and uh, just have a place where you can stock them and store them. And just in case there's, there's ever an emergency, you have uh, that to rely on. Um, but you'll be surprised how fast a candle can heat up a room, a couple of candles. And, uh, you know, I think I've talked about that before. Sometimes I forget all the things I've, I've talked about. But uh, there was a time back in the day, and, and I mean, this wasn't this wasn't wintertime or anything like that, but, uh, you know, we ran a group home for kids in, uh, in CPS custody, and the lights went out, and they went out for an extended period of time. And uh, we didn't have, this was pre-prepper website, pre-preparedness, pre-all that kind of stuff. But we did have candles. That was one thing that we had a lot of candles. And so we put some candles around and, uh, you know, we could see and everything was good. And we sat around talking and all that kind of stuff. But then we realized that it was getting super hot. And, uh, of course, without the electricity to be able to turn on the AC. Uh, and, you know, this wasn't cold winter time. But uh, it got it got really hot to the point where we were started to sweat. And so we had to turn off some of those candles and uh, kind of suffer a little bit. So, um, you know, th there is that aspect that candles can put off some heat, more heat than you realize. And then if you add some of these other things to it, I think, uh, you know, you can uh, have a nice little emergency survival uh, heating. It's just kind of like you have a blackout kit. You can have a survival heating kit as well. And uh, that would be, you know, there's so many things you can do there. And so hopefully we gave you some ideas. And those of you that are up north, and, you know, hopefully you do not run into a need to have some of these things. But if you can, go ahead and stock some of these things just in case. Uh, I think that would be a great, great idea. And that's over at survivalpedia.com. 10 Essentials for Survival Heating During Blizzards. All right, our next article comes to us from askaprepper.com. And the title is 10 EMP Proof Items to Hoard. And it's probably not the best title there. Um, you know, the, the EMP is going to draw a lot of people just because it's EMP. Any, any article that has EMP in it is, uh, is going to draw people. And so maybe that's why they did it there. Uh, and then the hoarding, you know, things that you can uh, make sure that you have and, and you keep possibly for barter items later on down the road or just items that you know that will last for a long, long time. And so I think there's some, uh, you know, some good advice here, just some information that I think uh, I'd like to, you know, to make known to everyone on the podcast and just kind of pass it on. And so, uh, but I just wanted to kind of clear that up. It's EMP or, or not. I think just, just general preparedness would, uh, uh, it will suffi suffice here. So let's go ahead and get started on, uh, on this one. First, it was Iran. They were launching satellites and firing rockets high into the atmosphere. Many said it was prepped for an EMP attack. Then during the Obama years, they started patrolling off our coast. This is what one EMP expert had to say about these Navy patrols. 
Quote, I think the Iranian Navy patrols off our coast may be intended to lull us into a complacency to get, us the U- to get the U.S. Navy accustomed to an Iranian naval presence in our hemisphere. So eventually they could contribute to zero hour and the great day when the mullahs decide to drop the nuclear hammer on America, said Pry, who staffed a former congressional EMP commission. Uh, quote. Now we face a true threat from North Korea. To the casual onlooker, it would seem America is simply waiting to be hit by an EMP. The enemies of our nation know they cannot stand up to our military might, and they have figured out the EMP is their Hail Mary. Are you preparing for an EMP disaster? It's about more than just a Faraday cage. How many threats and voices will our nation shun before the lights go out and America starts to eat itself? Here are 10 items to hoard before an EMP attack. First one is lighters. A successful EMP attack is the end for modern heating and cooling systems. We will be thrust back hundreds of years and outside of our ingenuity. Wood will be how the average man stays warm. Fire will be a massive part of your life. You will use it to purify water, cook food, heat your home, and preserve food. Forget the bow drill or the fire plane and just hoard tons of lighters so that starting a fire is something you never have to worry about. Lighters are one piece of modern tech that we can take into a post-EMP setting. You know, and uh, I I think about Selko and uh, his time that he writes about when he was in in Sarajevo Sarajevo in the Bosnian War. And he learned how to refill uh, lighters through using propane, a big propane tank. And he was able to barter with that and he was able to trade with that. And, uh, you know, there, there is a lot of us in the preparedness community. We practice with ferro rods. Some people practice with a bow drill. Uh, people have the, you know, magnesium. We have all the different types of things that we have out there. But when it boils down to it, yeah, a lighter would be a very, very, this is the easiest way to go ahead and start a fire. So uh, that might be something you want to. And if you are planning on hoarding lighters, I would uh, just go ahead and bite the bullet and buy the better lighters. Go ahead and buy the Bix. Things you buy at the dollar store and those kinds of things, uh, those break down so, so fast. All right, next thing is cash. Americans are just terrible when it comes to saving money. The good news is there is no better time to start. Don't throw away all your money in the bank. When the EMP runs through your neighborhood, it will shut off those ATMs permanently. How will you get your money? Keep a healthy store of cash either in your home, in a safe, or hidden somewhere that is easily accessible without electronics. Ideally, a month's worth of cash makes for a greater disaster fund. Your EMP goal should start there. Bullets. Whether you plan to barter or besiege your way through the post-EMP landscape, you will need ammo. Ammo makes every list of best bartering items and for good reason. Here is a great method to get cheap and reliable ammo for SHTF to start your stockpile today. Store ammo for your weapons and popular rounds for weapons you may not own. 22, 22 long rifle, 9mm, 45, 5.56 are all great options to store and buy in bulk. Uh, one of the things when you read barter, uh, you know, barter uh, articles and things like that, a lot of people will tell you not to barter bullets because you never know how that would come back on you negatively, and how they might, you know, you know, load up their 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 guns or their firearms right then and there and and try to uh, to attack you and take everything you have. So anyway, that's uh, just a little extra there for you. Uh, tools. 
Right now, tools are cheap, dirt cheap. High-quality tools are being produced on a massive scale and waiting to be gobbled up. What's the harm in storing multiple sets of wrenches, hammers, axes, and sockets? Beyond just the tools themselves, now is the time to stock up on things like mineral oil to protect our metal blades and tools from rusting. Also, hoard some linseed oil for treating those wooden handles. Tool maintenance will be a huge part of surviving an EMP. Also, stock up on sharpeners. If you are out of electronics, you will at least want the sharpest axes and knives and saw blades to make the demanding work a little less taxing. And I would have to agree on this one right here. I think having tools, tools is always going to pay off. Whether we have an SHTF event or not, having tools will benefit you in the future. I mean, you always have the ability to you know, work with your hands and do things out there. And even if you needed to, you could sell them later on down the road. But I think that would be a, a really great investment to make sure you have some good quality tools and uh, that you have a good tool set. Okay, uh, I don't agree with this one. Uh, this next one here is cooking oil. The process of creating commercial cooking oil will take a huge hit following an EMP. The large harvesting machinery and the manufacturing machinery that produces the oil will be offline following an EMP. Cooking oil is one of those items that most preppers forget about. Right now, you can buy basic cooking oil for less than $3 a bottle. I've, I've always heard... And uh, did a little bit, just uh, a little bit of Googling before I started the podcast. And oil can go rancid. And uh, the shelf life is maybe two to three years. So if you're rotating out, definitely. But I don't know about something to stockpile there. I don't know like things like Crisco. I don't know, uh, or lard. Um, yeah, I guess, you know, definitely, especially if you were to can it, uh, you know, in, in the home canning. I, I don't know. I don't know what that would be like. But I know cooking oil can go rancid and then uh, as it's uh, and you change colors and those kinds of things. And as it's going rancid, you don't want to uh, to cook with it because it just makes the, your food taste nasty and you won't want to eat it. And so uh, that's I don't know about storing that one. I wouldn't do that. Definitely, if we got to a situation where uh, it was a true poop hit the fan, I think people would be. Uh, like when you go, you know, you go get an animal for whatever reason, you're not, you're going to use every bit of that animal and every bit of that fat and you're going to be rendering lard and, 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 you know, you're going to be using all that, all that kind of stuff very, very wisely. And so, uh, I don't know about cooking oil. Um, and, and I would do some more research if that's something you're interested in. The next one is books. While we all have access to the Oracle through our phones or computers, it won't be there after an EMP. Some experts think that the effects of an EMP will not be completely felt by all electronics. I can promise you that our intricate network of information will fall apart after an EMP, even if they are right. Suddenly, you you will be left with only the hard copy information that exists on your bookshelves. First aid, gardening, repairs, home maintenance, self-defense, philosophy, prepping, of course, and homesteading. These are all great options for the average person to have on their shelves. I agree that that hardback uh, or hard copies of books are uh, you know, a, a very great option. Uh, but I, again, I've always said, and I said, I said this before in the past. I don't live my life for you know in complete fear of EMP. I don't live my life believing that you know we're headed for the EMP. 
And so uh, I still think that uh, an Amazon Kindle Fire is a great, great deal. Even if you are just reading and, you know, you, there's plenty of books. I think I talked about that here just recently where um, somebody on the Facebook group put up and said, hey, you can search for these free books and they're a really great deal. And you go over and I was looking at some of these books and there were they weren't these, you know, like uh, one review books, ebooks. And, uh, you know, they gave it like one star. These were like four, 4.5 star with 400 plus reviews. I mean, really good books and they were free and you can download them. And so you can look over them and, and you know, learn from them and those kinds of things. So, uh, you know, I, I still think and right now Amazon Kindles are so cheap. Uh, you, you know, you get them for, you know, just a fraction of what they you know when they first came out. And you can do so much with them. So I still, I'm, I'm still a believer in eBooks and those kinds of things. I still uh, do believe that you should have hard copies. Uh, you know, the ones that I always talk about, uh, the Survival Medicine Handbook, Doctor Bones and Nurse Amy's book. I believe that is one that you should have. Uh, I like buying bushcraft books uh, and things like that. I buy those on, uh, you know, hard copies and uh, you know, homesteading and and uh, some of those books. Uh, if if I'm looking into it and I, I know maybe the author or uh, I you know I know that it's a really really great book is comes really highly recommended I uh, I do buy that you know in in a, a hard or hard copy I want to say hardback but they're not usually hardback they're hard copy and so uh, you know you just kind of play it by ear though but don't just do one I would do both uh, you know but anyway there you go uh, water in many ways. After an EMP, water will become a gamble. While tra taps may work for a limited time, there is no assurance that we will have clean and safe water coming out of them. In order to prepare for this, you must start hoarding water today. Do not depend on one source for your post-EMP water. Instead, take a tiered approach to water storage and maximize your methods of water procurement. You should have access to plenty of the water that comes from the sky. Rainwater collection is a crucial method for hoarding water. While the 55-gallon barrels work well, you may just want to make the investment in a massive 1,200-gallon cistern. Retail water can be purchased and stored as well, so or you can use tap water to fill things like water bricks for the future. If you do store retail water, just be sure to get it cycled through to get cycled through because the cheap plastic will no doubt leach toxins into your water over time. Yeah, water is the big deal. You get multiple, multiple ways uh, of, of uh, being able to filter and purify water. Uh, next on the list is medicines. Medicines are tricky. You got to have them and you should most definitely hoard them, but you should also be careful when it comes to cycling them out. Unlike food, you can't, can't just pull an older bottle of Tylenol out of the cabinet and have it for dinner. That is, unless you don't want to worry about the EMP anymore. After a, med after a medicine expires, its effectiveness will begin to decrease, and this will make it harder to dose properly. When it comes to hoarding meds, I think you have to take a loss on some items. It's a bet. When meds get close to expiration, start asking around. Someone will need, need them. Buy a fresh stock and start the process again. Spend a little extra and buy things like children medications, even if you don't have kids. These will be gold in a collapse. Uh, I'm going to disagree on that one, too. Uh, just from what I've heard and read from Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy, you know, and, and I've said it before here, uh, you know, medicine, if, if whatever, whatever it is, you know, uh, not just medicine, but food or whatever, if it expires, you know, tonight at, at, you know, whatever. So at midnight, something doesn't cause it to go bad. 
um, you know, it just starts to lose its quality, starts to lose its effectiveness. In the comments, someone says, you know, some as they expire, uh, they increase their effectiveness. I don't know. I've never heard that one before. That might be true, but uh, I think they start breaking down. And so the the worry there, I think what he's saying here in this article, is that you might have to take more to be able to get the same effect, but you might not know how much you actually need to take. And so there's kind of that gamble. I I would never, ever throw away medicine. I would never, in a pill form. If it's a liquid form, yeah, I, I would throw that away. But uh, and even at that, I would you know keep it past the the expiration date. But I would never throw away uh, a pill. Um, I just I just wouldn't, and uh, I would I would wind up keeping that. If you don't feel comfortable with keeping it and using it, you know the strategy. I think I've talked about that before. Uh, I think it was Dell and Lisa who who mentioned it before. Is when something expires and they're not comfortable continuing to use it, they put it in a place where they would barter that out later on down the road. And so if you have a, a pill bottle, you know the expiration that it, it expires, you could put that to the side. And if you needed to barter or you needed that for later on down the road, it's there. And uh, you know you would just let the people know. It's like, hey, I've got this bottle of whatever. Tylenol, Advil, whatever, and uh, it expired back in whatever. But uh, you know, I, I I have this to barter if you're interested in it. And someone who really needs it, you know, would probably be willing to take the risk for it. And so uh, you have that that available to you there. All right, so that's on medicine. All right, next one is first aid, and I think this is important as well. Filth. That is what comes to the mind when I think of a post EMP world. Filth, pest and the disease they harbor. Remember, waste will sit around, trash will sit around. You will be working and moving more than usual to survive. You are going to get cut and you are going to get sick. Along with basic first aid, you should also hoard the materials needed to set up a simple quarantine. Our scientists will not be working around the clock to create vaccines for illnesses anymore. It will be a good... It, it will be up to you for good hygiene, immunity, and the ability to quarantine the sick. Rolls of plastic, N95 masks, rubber gloves, plenty of soap, feet covers, and coveralls. Next one is trash bags. Trash trucks are broken down. The water system is compromised, but all your trash and excrement must go somewhere. Do you have a plan for that? Trash bags will give you options when it comes to how you handle your waste. This will affect your general health exponentially. It will keep pests away from your home and you will limit your exposure to the harmful bacteria, both in pests and in waste. Sicknesses will be one of the biggest killers in a post-EMP world. I agree. Now, uh, I believe that trash bags are good to have. And if I was uh, hoarding or stockpiling, um, somebody in the comments said that hoarding is not a good word. Uh, stockpiling. Uh, these items and trash bags, I would be doing, and I've talked about this before, the 55-gallon uh, you know, contractor size bags because you can use those for so many things. I don't like the, the, the idea. We hear about this on, you know, pretty often. It's like if you needed to use the restroom, uh, you, know, you, have a, you, know, you can poop in a bucket, whatever. You, know, you poop in a plastic bag, and then you deal with that plastic bag. I don't think that's a long-term solution. That wouldn't work. I mean, eventually, of course, you're going to run out of trash bags. But what are you going to do with that? You know, if if the idea is is that okay, we're going to get by, and then eventually trash is going to start picking back up again. Okay, fine. But 
if you're like an EMP and you know things are you're, that's it, forget it. That's not a viable solution. You got to find something else because what are you going to do with all those plastic bags? You know, all those plastic bags are eventually going to, you know, you're going to have to put them somewhere outside. And then at that, animals are going to get into it and it's going to spread disease and stuff like that anyway. So you need to have, you know, if an EMP happens, you need a long-term solution. And then so if you are in a neighborhood like I am, you can't use your toilet because eventually the pipes are going to, uh, they're going to back up on you. And so everyone's going to have poop coming back into their, to their houses. So you can't do that either. You know, everyone's going to have to be, you know, in the neighborhood, everyone's going to have to be in agreement not to use their toilets. And you're going to have to come up. So in a big neighborhood, what do you do? So you have an outhouse, you dig an outhouse, you dig a couple of outhouses. I mean, how long before that gets used up? And so that's, that's the thing, man. You know, that's the thing that you don't normally, you know, when you start reading dystopian novels and, and fictions and different things like that, you, they don't cover that kind of stuff because that's going to get old really, really quick and people are going to get really, really sick because disease is going to, you know, you're going to have people that aren't going to go to uh, the outhouse. They're, they're just going to start pooping in people's yards and things like that. And disease is going to, is going to go crazy. And so, you know, those, maybe my mind just works weird but ever ever since you know i got into preparedness i always thought like long term it wasn't th there was the the short you know uh things that you're preparing for you know like the blackouts and things like that but when i think about like long term like if the hammer really dropped and and uh you know the poop really hit the fan you know the, the long long term what would happen and, uh, you know, that's why one reason for me is that I definitely would want to try to get out to my dad's, you know, country, you know, country place because there's, you know, a bunch of open space in my neighborhood. It's scary. What would happen? You know, I just think about how many times you go to the restroom. You go to the restroom at least once. If you're if you're normal, you go to the restroom at least once a day. And you have a whole, uh, you know, you have your whole household and then the whole neighborhood going every single day. What are you going to do with that? And so uh, anyway, so I don't know if the trash bag thing is viable for a real long term solution. Um, you know, I don't know. Uh, maybe that needs to be something that is thought out and, you know, so, someone can uh, do an article on that one. Maybe starting a stockpile. I subscribe to three hard and fast methods of stockpiling or hoarding items for a collapse. These methods will give you options based on where you are financially as well as where you are on the rung of preparedness. Supermarket hoard. The supermarket hoard is a slow and plodding process that involves buying a handful of small extra items each trip to the supermarket. This is how you build a strong first aid haul or how you slowly gather your lighters and trash bags. Think about it this way. You hit the supermarket about 52 times a year. If you grab an extra box of trash bags half the time, imagine what you could have by the end of one year. Bulk purchase. If you're in a hurry and have the means, you can also bulk purchase items. This will work best if you can get neighbors or other preppers to join in on the purchase. When it comes to things like ammo, this is your only option. The bulk purchase will consistently get you more for your money, but you must have a chunk of money to make the purchase. Do not make bulk purchases on credit unless you are paying them off quickly. Then Discount Explorer. If you have the time and the inclination, you can also hunt for hoarding deals. Mastering the world of coupons and discounts will allow you to build your stockpile fast and at a great price. 
the world of discount can offer you incredible benefits. Of course, the only problem with discounts is they are inconsistent. Use a combination of all three methods to assure you are hoarding all the items you need to survive in an EMP. All right, so uh, you know, over at askaprepper.com, they always do. Uh, you know, they have a, a big community over there, and there's 51 comments and a lot of information here. A lot of people giving ideas and things like that. And uh, I didn't go all the way down them, uh, all the way down uh, to the comments. So I don't know if anybody brought up the uh, the cooking oil thing, but maybe that's something someone can can look up. I again, like I said, I don't know how long Crisco uh, would if you didn't open it, how long that would last. Uh, you know that kind of thing uh, but anyway uh, there you go on that one I think there's a good list and a lot of good information there I don't agree with everything I don't always agree with everything a lot sometimes there's things I just uh, you know I post on prepper website that I don't agree with and sometimes I'm like is it just my opinion there that I'm fighting with or is it you know just uh, you know this is completely wrong and so uh, there's there's some things here that I don't I don't agree with but uh, some, a lot of great ideas, and uh, uh, James, if that's the James I think I think who it is, uh, then then I know him, and he's uh, he's a guy that I listen to, and I, and uh, I read his articles on a regular basis. Um, he wrote it for askaprepper.com. All right, guys, uh, that's it for episode 224. Hey, thanks so much for taking the time to be with me on this episode. Hey, if you haven't had the chance, come on over to the Facebook group. I'd love to have you over there. Just uh, You can click on the, the show notes, and we'll get you over there. Or just go in your web browser. You can type in amoreselfrelientlife.com. Or come over to the website, theprepperwebsitepodcast.com, and click on free Facebook group. It'll get you over there. Click on join, and then uh, we'll get you into the group and be a part of it. And uh, we'd love to have you there as well. If you haven't joined the email list, I'd love to have you there as well because we do. Uh, you know, we try to send out uh, information every so often. I don't hit you up every day. I don't. Sometimes I don't even hit you up every week. It just as something comes up and something I'd like to share uh, and it's something that I think that is valuable, I send it out to you there. Uh, and so, uh, you know, that that email list is growing and there's a there's a good reason why you'd want to be on there uh, and not just, you know, to get information from me, uh, you know, or pr not just, you know, preparedness information. But, you know, what if there was a time that uh the big groups out there, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, started to turn in on patriots and started to turn in on on uh, people that were you know had a preparedness mindset and and, and you know people that were more patriotic or whatever it is. And then, you know, the, the means that we had of communication would be lost. And we'd still have podcasts. We still have the website. But as far as kind of like getting to you and getting you information quickly, email lists are, are, are great. And so I, I know it's... One of those things is like, man, I don't want to get spam, and uh, or I don't want to, I don't want to get a bunch of emails, and definitely don't, don't spam you. I don't sell my email list to anyone. People email me all the time. Todd, we'd love to send an email to your list. How much does it cost? I'm like zero because you're not going to do it. Um, but you know, you know, so I, I really try to be thoughtful about what I send out and uh, things that you know, what I'd be interested in, i try to send that out to you. So uh, you can come over to any of the websites, Ed That Matters, you know, the Prepper website or Prepper website or the Prepper website podcast and Prepper website, and uh, you can join the email list. And, and uh, I'll send you out a free PDF of nine experts, uh, their top seven kit items. So uh, you can have that and you can kind of look that over. All right, guys. So 
with that. Choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.